This is Steve McGrath and welcome back. On this week's episode, I'm pleased to bring you my conversation with JJ Burden. Now, JJ is an accomplished entrepreneur. He's an author. He's a public speaker. He's a phenomenal follow on all social media channels. Go to jjburden.com to check him out where you can see more videos and learn more about him the nine years he spent in the NFL, most notably with the Chiefs where he was catching balls from Joe Montana. Now, before I go any further, though, please go ahead, like this video, subscribe to the podcast, share this with a friend. I'd greatly appreciate it, particularly because JJ is about to show you some wisdom. For about a half hour, we're going to get into what it takes to be successful. He's going to give you tidbits from different keynotes that he's put together on top of talking some ball, how he was able to succeed. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with JJ Burden. All right. I am pleased to be joined by nine-year NFL vet, author, speaker, and great follow on social media. It is none other than JJ Burden. JJ, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Stefan. How are you doing today? I'm doing phenomenal. Thanks. Um, now, there has been a lot going on uh, just in terms of the Chiefs in this past year. So just from the top, when I look at you, who a little bit of a smaller guy in the NFL, you know, about maybe you know, listed at 185, probably a little closer to 157. <laughs> when you see a guy like Tyreek Hill have the level of success that he's had with his track and field background, very similar to yours, how much do you see yourself in him? Stephen, I, you know, it's interesting because I, I see myself quite a bit in him, but I also see that he's he's probably physically more gifted than I, I was and he has some abilities that I'd even have and and during my years you know I was known for my speed my jumping ability because I was a long jumper at Oregon but Tyreek just he has the package I mean he has the size I was 157 I think he's 185 or somewhere around there 190 more durable but I've never seen a wide receiver who has the perfect mix of speed quickness and explosion i mean he is the full package and i know with pat mahomes signing his big deal recently i'm sure that everyone's been trying to get your take on it but as a former chief that we just talked about tyree kill but the man who is just running everything could be you know the future in kansas city for of course the next 10 years as we know what were your thoughts on kansas city locking him up as quickly as they did with a ultra mega deal my first reaction was Kansas City Chiefs, that was smart. It was a smart, I mean, obviously very costly, but um, often you see teams where they'll have a young star like that and they'll have a couple good years and they don't lock him in. And then that guy becomes a free agent, goes plays for another team and then comes back to haunt them. But I like how the Chiefs recognize that Patrick is a franchise quarterback and they want to lock him in for years because the teams that have a franchise quarterback like your Rodgers and Wilson and Montana and Young and Marino, those teams are always competing in the playoffs and they have a better chance to get to the Super Bowl every year. So I was, I was pleased to see because it lets me know that um, when you have a quarterback like that, he's going to make everybody else around him even better. So they should be always in the playoffs. It completely agreed. But you yourself played nine years, and I don't know how many contracts you had assigned to get to nine years, but to just put 10 on the table is obscene in football years. I mean, do you think that that's too much of a gamble or because it's Patrick Mahomes, you have to put it out there? 
Well, the times we are now is a little different than when I played because guys are getting um, guaranteed contracts. That was unheard of when I played. Um, and I just think, you know, to get a quarterback that like that, it's, it's so rare to have someone that young, that successful, because I understand he's still learning how to play the quarterback position at the NFL level. And I don't think everybody understand that he's still on a learning curve. And imagine when he gets a year six, seven, when he really starts grasping that position at the NFL level. And I think the chiefs recognize that. I think it was worth the gamble because everything that Patrick has shown thus far is that he is the consummate leader. He's the consummate professional. He's the consummate, you know, team member and a great guy off the field too. So he's the type of guy that you want to be the, the name of your, or the face of your organization. Definitely. Uh, and, you know, JJ, you've, you put so much stuff out there on social media. It's a perfect medium for you since you are such a gifted speaker. You've been doing it for a while. One of the things I've seen you talk about is having that daily method of operation, you know, having what your game plan is. And before I go any further, jjburden.com, it's an easy place for anyone to go to see some of these videos that highlight some of your, your keynote topics. But I think it's easy for any of us to sort of establish that and get some level of success. But when you have a curveball that's thrown at you, the way that COVID has completely changed the game for everyone, how do you deal with your entire ecosystem getting shaken up like that and, and sort of trying to re-get yourself grounded so you can move forward again? You know, it's a great question, Stephen, because I think it's one of the things I learned about the NFL and even being an athlete, you know, I got so used to structure. You know, when I was in the NFL, sure. they told us where to be, when to be there, what we were going to do. And I love that because I love organization. I love knowing what I got to do so I can really give my best. And so since I've retired, I've tried to maintain that same type of routine and being very organized. And like you said, having a daily method of operation, always focusing on those five fundamental things I need to do from day to day to be productive. So when you are thrown a curveball, this is what I learned about in the NFL, because you spend so much time preparing and practicing for a play. You're in the huddle. Joe Montana calls the play. I'm thinking about what I got to do. I run to the line. I'm scanning the defense. I'm processing all this information. Then he goes black razor. He's calling an audible. Well, I don't have time to say, hold up, guys. I'm going to run the play I want to run. No, no, no. You have to process the information. You got to make a decision, and you got to commit to the decision. And that's what I did in the league, and that's what I've done today. Even when a curveball is thrown, like you mentioned, COVID virus process the information. So what's really happening around us, okay? Make a decision. What am I going to do? And then commit to that decision. And, and it's something that's allowed me to stay productive in spite of what's been happening. Yeah, and it makes a ton of sense. The one um, variable it, going from the football field to any or most professional endeavors outside of it, if Joe Montana is calling the audible, someone told you, hey, you got to change what you're doing. Most people need to make that jump on their own. Hey, I can't wait for someone to tell me what to do. I need to figure out what to do now to be successful. Do you have any tips about how, if in lieu of not having that leader to give you that nudge, how you need to go about finding that way to ignite that fire? 
Yeah, I mean, well, one, I, I, I always preach mentor, mentor, coach, 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 leader, you know, because I think as an athlete, you know, the best athletes in the world, we all had coaches, we all had mentors to always guide us. And even today, I always encourage people to try to have that mentor, that coach around you, someone that, you know, you can you know, learn from who's already walked the road you're, you're traveling on, especially if you deal with a situation of unpredictability, because we can put a plan together, but it's always good to have someone with the experience, another set of eyes to take a look at your plan to make sure it makes sense. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing is if you don't have access to a mentor, then you have to be your own self-coach. You got to sit down and create that game plan yourself. And a lot of times that's going to be based off of your previous success. What's worked in the past? What can you modify? What can you focus on an update so that it's, so that's implemented based on what you're dealing with? Absolutely. And, you know, something that I found in times where I don't have a mentor is go to jjburden.com. Find the people that know what they're talking about. Listen to them. Surround yourself with voices that can at least maybe inspire something in you. If you don't have that person, there's enough stuff out there to immerse yourself in where you can probably find a way to at least you know, pick an avenue to create something. Yeah, that's the beauty of social media. Uh, I like to talk about that, how you, know, you have mentors out there. They don't even know they're your mentor. You know, you can follow them. You can listen to their, their videos and read their blogs and watch, listen and learn from their content. And um, I do it all the time. There, there are people out there that are mentoring me that don't even know they're mentoring me. But like you said, we have this resource. All you got to do is tap into it. And you can pretty much find the information that you need at the right time and when you need it. Definitely. And I just wanted to dig a little further into finding success. I've heard you say that people can confuse and complicate the road to success. And particularly in a time where COVID, where it doesn't necessarily have to be this, but whatever you're trying to establish, you know, there's just those outside sources that can shake you up. What, I mean, do you have a sort of go-to, maybe it's a loose process or just a tip to how to simplify your road so that you can get to where you want to go. Yeah, I, I, I firmly believe in that. I do believe that people complicate the process of success and make it more difficult than it is. And I always try to narrow it down to some simple steps, you know, uh, what exactly do you want in whatever area you're focused on? What exactly do you want? What's the goal? Then why do you want it? And I think that why the motivation is so important because that's the thing that's going to get you through the bad days, those wall kicking moments. Because when the why is strong enough, the process to get there is not a challenge. And then from then again, it goes back to what's your game plan and then executing that. And I think that last part, Stephen, is really the game changer because so many people want it. So many people might have that goal and they want it. But not everybody's willing to put in the work and sacrifice it from day to day. And that's what separates the pros from the amateurs. And, and for me, from day one, I have always been that guy, whether I was a little guy in grade school to be in the NFL, I was always constantly pushing myself because everyone always said I was too small. I didn't belong. I was the underdog. And that was always that extra motivation for me to prove people wrong. And I think one of the easiest parallels to how athletes can take that level of success they can obtain on their court or their field and then take it to another place 
is you know, I mean, you actually know if, hey, if all the other wide receivers are catching 100 balls a day, I need to catch 200 a day because I need to put in that extra work to make it up. I think it's a little bit easier for people, particularly athletes, to understand what that extra work looks like when it's a physical thing versus if it's a mental thing and it's like, hey, I need to learn my rebuttals if I'm in sales or if I'm in an operations role, I need to understand the ins and outs more so than anyone else. Do you find that to be true at all? Uh, just as you've gone about uh, working with, with different groups and talking to different people? Yeah, I sure do. And one of the messages I preach to when I'm on, I'm doing you know, corporate events is one, I try to help them understand an, a pro athlete's mentality. You get to the NFL, you're playing against the best of the best. Everybody's all American, all pro, all this, all that. Everybody's gifted athletically. But you learn that there is a small, there's small incremental improvements that separates the players. So as pros, we're trying to you know, make those small improvements. And those small improvements is the extra work we put into, like you said, perfecting our catching, studying our plays, studying our opponent. It's those little things. And so I try to help, in this case, let's say salespeople, recognizing that if your ability to communicate with your customers plays a key role in your success, how much time are you spending mastering the art of communication and practicing and working on it? Because as me as a wide receiver, I might catch eight balls maybe on game day, but during the week I probably caught 1,000 to 2,000 passes perfecting those skill sets. And so I think that's one of the differences between a pro athlete and maybe someone in a corporate world because a pro athlete understands that because those little improvements are key to you staying on the team and staying in the league. Absolutely. In an undertone to all of this, you could say is seizing opportunity. It's something, of course, that you did day in, day out to have your entire football career, let alone everything you've done after the NFL. And the name of the book that you wrote a couple of years ago, you know, Eight Surefire Ways to Take Advantage. You know, one of the quotes, I don't know if it came from this book, but when opportunity knocks, you don't answer the door, you rip the hinges off the door <laughs> and you make the opportunity stay. Can you talk a little bit about how you developed that, you know, thick mindset that you were going to do that minute after minute to make, you know, squeeze every ounce of that NFL career. And of course, everything after. Yeah, it really started because I wasn't trying to make it to the NFL. I was, I was raised in Northeast Portland and, you know, my raised by a single parent, my mom, sweetheart worked really hard. Um, dropped out of high school when she was a junior, you know, she, she struggled and she, she did her best to take care of us. And I just made a decision early on. I just did not want to struggle like that. I wanted to be successful, not in the NFL, just wanted to, a, a, a higher degree of success. But as I started traveling down this road of sports, I was always a little guy. And at every stage, high school, you're too small. You're too small. I'll show you. College, you're too small. You're, I'll show you. NFL. So that always kind of had the, that, I had that motivation there. But the other thing was that during my journey, Stephen, I saw so many people miss out on opportunities. They had a chance to do something they really wanted, something that could change their life. And they missed out on it for multiple reasons. But for me, every chance I got, I seized it. But I didn't just open the door. Like you said, I ripped the door off the hinges and I owned that opportunity. And that's pretty much been my life story because when I went to Oregon, I was there on a track scholarship. My sophomore year, I begged to, the football coach to let me walk on. 
I made the team and all of a sudden I'm drafted in the NFL. So um, one thing I learned about this is that sometimes in life, you have to create opportunities where it appears it doesn't exist. Because we want to seize opportunities, but sometimes you have to make the opportunity. And that's what I did at Oregon. Who knew that I'd end up in the huddle with Joe Montana sometimes catching passes from him, but that was because I seized and maximized the opportunity. So that's why I wanted to write a book about, you know, how do you seize those, but how do you really own those opportunities? Absolutely. It's one thing to stumble into one, but it's a completely different to manufacture them repeatedly. So you continue to have a level of success that most people really can only dream about. Yeah. It's like that saying you've heard, how you do anything is how you do everything. And it's the habits we create over time. And these habits I started creating when I was when they stayed with me. So when my post NFL career emerged, I was ready to implement these habits in the business world, and which is what I do today. And I try to be the best speaker I can be. I try to be the best coach I can be. I just, I learned in the NFL every day is game day. It's you always bring your best no matter what you're doing. And I still remember when Dan Orlovsky said that on this podcast, that that's what Peyton Manning told him. And that's when it was like, oh, I get it now. That's how you get to that level and stay at that level. Now, part of you getting, you know, having the second half of your career, just a high level here. So you do get drafted by Cleveland. You know, you, you kind of battle to be on the roster there. So that's most of, that is 88. You know, 89 between, you know, Cleveland and Dallas battling to get on the field. 90 to 91, start to get a couple balls thrown your way, but it's really 92 that you really start to, can you just talk about for four years consistently working at something where you might not see a lot of success, but you keep putting in the time to break through down the line? Yeah, that's a great question because like you said, I'm in Cleveland. I tore up my ACL. I'm on IR. I go through camp the next year. They cut me. Then Dallas puts me on the practice squad all year. Jimmy Johnson doesn't think I'm going to be able to play the NFL. So they don't sign me after that year. And now I'm going into my third year. I've already been credited for two years and I haven't really made a team. And so that third year, I recognized that I had the ability. I knew I could play, but it was a matter of being 100% healthy and being placed in the right situation. So um, when I made the decision to go to the Chiefs, it was a total strategic move because I knew that they needed my speed. But when I made the Chiefs team, it took about two years. But what I did was this, and this is what I tell a lot of young athletes and anyone in general is that, you know, success is an endurance race. It's not going to happen overnight. And so those two years when I was on the Chiefs team, I would come in every day in practice and treat it like it was my game day. And I would give my best every day in practice and I would work on my skills and just, you know, hone my abilities, make the team better. But ultimately, I knew I was going to get my shot. And it was the end of the 1991 season, the last game of the year against the Raiders. Head coach Marty Schottenheimer said, you've been a great practice player all these last two years. We're going to play you a lot this game. And that game, I had eight catches, 188 yards, two touchdowns of 52 yards and 54 yards. And that was the moment when my career changed. But it was all what I did leading up to that moment. Because I knew that when I got my shot, 
I got to seize it because I may only have one chance. And so, um, so it's a teaching point I like to share with everyone is that success is an endurance race. You put in the time, you stay consistent. And when you get your shot, you got to take advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, you're just another example of the, the misnomer of the overnight success. You know, the casual fan that watched that day might have been like, oh, this guy, you know, good for him. He, he must have, you know, just showed up this past year. Little do they know the, the years of consistent day in, day out effort. Um, yeah, and I remember when uh, after that game, the, the Raiders, because nobody knew who I was. And we were in L.A., and the Raiders reporters are like, you know, who are you? And, da, da, da. and they go, did you ever think you'd play this well? And I said, not sounding cocky, I said, oh, yeah, I've been waiting for a game like this. And they said, why? Because I've been practicing like this every day, so I knew it was going to happen when they gave me a shot. That's awesome. Now, you, you did mention Marty Schottenheimer. Now, I believe Marty's the coach of Cleveland when they draft you. Is that right? That's correct. Did, did that play a role in you deciding to go to Kansas City? Yes, it did, because um, when I was a free agent and you know, before I went to Dallas, Marty had called me. He was one of the teams that called me. And unfortunately, within five days, I flunked four NFL physicals because I had swelling in my knee and Kansas City was one of them. And so when I was 100 percent, I'm running four, three in the 40. I'm in excellent shape. I had several teams that were after me. And as I looked at the different teams, there was two things that stood out with Kansas City. One is they lacked speed. They had nobody running under four or five. And Marty was there. And I just knew Marty was going to give me the best opportunity to make it. Because back in Cleveland, he really believed in me. So I thought, you know, if I'm going to go somewhere, let's go with the guy that believed in me from day one. That, and obviously that there's so much that you do that you seem like you were going to be successful no matter what hand you were dealt. But at Kansas City, you know, Coach Schottenheimer, of course, widely regarded as being a great coach, but his staff there, and I know that this changes a little bit year by year, but Bill Cower, Herm Edwards, Al Saunders, Tony Dungy, Bruce Arians, all guys that are renowned. Did you take anything from those guys or maybe even someone that I accidentally omitted there as a, you know what, that's how to have success by watching these guys master their craft, even if it's a different craft than what I'm working on? You know, first, I didn't realize that that staff was as powerful as they were. I didn't realize that, you know, because later on, as you mentioned, they all were coaches. But I did notice some different things about Tony Dungy and Bauer that, uh, and Bill uh, Cower that stood out. But the one that impacted me the most was Al Saunders, because Al Saunders was my wide receiver coach for five years. And I give Al a lot of credit for helping me take my game to the next level because you get to a certain point and you tend to plateau. But when I got to Kansas City, Al helped me go to the next level. He taught me so many different things that I, I credit a lot of my career as a wide receiver and why I was able to play nine years. Because understand, 5'10", 157 pounds. I'm not bigger than anyone. I'm not gonna knock anyone down, but Al taught me how to use my competitive advantage, which was my speed and quickness. And that gave me an advantage when I was going against DBs. And, um, but yeah, I just, I was a sponge around Al because I just learned so much from him. And, and he was an example, it's funny because I used to tease him. I go, Al, you never actually played in the NFL. You're like one of the best coaches I've ever had. How do you know this stuff? He says, kid, I've been around it for many, many years, you know. <laughs> uh, and you, of course, you already mentioned Joe Montana. 
you know, while coaches have their impact on the game, when you have someone like Joe and Marcus Allen as well, when they come over to Kansas City, how much does the culture change when it's like, oh, we have, you know, big time guys now. Was there anything by just being around them that changed the culture and changed the way that maybe practices were run where that level of expectation got raised? It changed overnight. The culture of our team, the the climate, it just overnight because we already had a playoff team and we knew we had, you know, most of the pieces of the puzzle. But when Joe and Marcus came, oh my goodness, it was like, oh, we're going to the Super Bowl. It instantly lifted our confidence. But more importantly, when we got to see how these guys practice, especially Joe Montana, how he prepared, how he performed, and even how he performed in very critical moments in the game when we were, in the past, we just, we lacked confidence in our ability to come back. But when Joe joined that year, we always knew we were going to come back. We always had the ability to win. So it forced us to step up our game step up our per, our production and our preparation because we knew that when you looked over there number 19 he was going to do his job i need to make sure i do my job <laughs> yeah and that's more or less exactly what i imagined so when you just take a step back and think about the guys that you would play with i mean in no particular order here and again apologies if i omit anyone but you know steve deberg jeff george good careers on their own right but even if it was short Bernie Kozar, short time with that, Troy Aikman, even if it's before Troy and Jimmy really have their success, and, and then, of course, Joe. Was there anything particular about quarterbacks and their personalities or how they went about their business that you said, you know what, this is what makes successful guys versus these guys that don't do this certain thing and they don't get to that level? Is it, it can't just purely be physical talent. No, I think, you know, what I noticed about the quarterbacks at that level, especially the ones I got to play with that – they are true students of the game. I mean, you know, they don't just study like the basics. They know everything. They know what everybody's doing and they understand the different schemes and the adjustments. They're like students of the game. And what I noticed most, especially about Joe, Joe was always studying. He was always studying. He was always studying. I said, Joe, don't you know this stuff? And he said, yes, JJ, but if I can memorize the plays, the coaches only have to give me half of it. We get out of huddle faster. I can look at the defense. So there was these little things that they did in their preparation that caused me, Stephen, to do more studying during the week. It, it lifted my preparation where I was studying corners a lot more. I was studying defenses a lot more because it gave me a complete advantage. And so that's the thing that I, I try to help people understand with quarterbacks and that learning curve. You know, that's why I said Patrick Mahomes, that learning curve is that these guys have to learn so much and it takes a couple of years for them to really get it. But when they get it, it's like having an offensive coordinator right there on the line of scrimmage organizing it and, and, you know, controlling the offense. Absolutely. Now, part of the reason why I ask about quarterbacks is because inherent in football, it's not a one-person sport. You as a wide receiver can't possibly catch the ball if the quarterback doesn't get it to you, let alone orchestrate the offense. How much of an adjustment is that going from someone that's running hurdles where it's me and what I'm doing, nothing else matters, to now it's I need to be a piece in the machine and I need to make sure that at least I'm doing my job, but I, I'm a function of everything else. Was it a hard adjustment to make? It, big adjustment, but I, I embraced it. That's why I did track and field and football, because 
track was more individual. You controlled your jumps, your hurdles. It was, it was all you, you, you. But football was a team sport. And what's interesting, especially when you get at that level, that every single guy, all 11 guys can affect, affect every single play. So it's the ability to work as a team and function as a team and always being on the same page because – I mean, when Joe changes the play, I have to see what he sees. And that's going to be based on my preparation and my experience. And it's a beautiful thing, too, when Joe calls a play and I see what he sees and we complete that and you know you're on the same page. And then you watch the film and you watch the left tackle and the center pick up the guy and the running back pick up his guy, and that is what allows Joe to make the throw and me to make the catch. It's, it's a beautiful thing when you work together as a team and everybody's on the same page. Yeah, it, 100%. And as we get close to the end here, you know, just thinking about being both an individual sport guy and a team sport guy, you then go on to become an author. Of course, you're a you know, keynote speaker. You're an entrepreneur as well. How do you balance the individual track that you might be running while also coordinating it with other team members do you find that one sport background helped you more than the other i think i pull from both of them i really do because there are times when i am the track guy you know let me do what i gotta do locked in laser focus i'm in the blocks i gotta do my thing but then there's times when i'm working with my team members the people i coach and stuff then it's more of a team concept and i'm feeding them those team you know philosophies and helping them understand what it takes to be a part of a team and i think that's what i loved about the two sports i was in and that's what i love about the businesses i'm in because at times it's it's all about me and the other times it's all about the team it's about who can you help who can you serve who can you help hit their goals i love it a perfect marriage of the two well <laughs> JJ, in closing, I have this little thing called the gauntlet. It's a quick hitter, knee-jerk reaction uh, question segment that I have for you. So from the top, what's most important? Is it the number one offense or the number one defense? <laughs> You're asking an offensive guy. <laughs> you know, they, uh, they say defense is wearing championships, and I was on offense. Um, I'm probably going to – I'm going to say defense. I'm going to say, even though I'm an offensive guy, I think defenses really do win championships because I've been on teams where we had amazing offenses, but because our defenses lacked, we didn't go that far. So I just think I'm going to lean towards the defense. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that it hurt you so much to say that, but I appreciate the honesty. <laughs> now, did you have a pregame ritual that you stuck to? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Uh, my wife, would, if it was a home game, my wife would drive me to the stadium about two hours before. First thing I would do, I'd go in and I would cut my nails. Psychologically, I wanted my nails short. And then I'd open up the pregame and I'd look in, look in the pregame. And then I'd put my pads in my pants. And then I'd get my pants on and I'd start my uniform and I'd start stretching. And then I'd go out in the field and I would do a track warm-up. I would do track drills way before the game started just to kind of be in that track mentality. So that was kind of my pre-game routine. Very regimented. <laughs> now, was there ever one player or one coach that you just wish you had the chance to play with? Oh, you know what? I would have loved to play for Belichick. I mean, I would have loved to play for him because he's obviously doing something right. 
And for me, I've always got along with those hard-nosed, in-your-face, strict coaches. Because Marty was kind of like that. And I know those coaches, they just want you to do your best. And they don't want to have to worry about you. And, and I, was, I took pride in the fact that, hey, I'm going to be where I need to be, when I need to be there. You can count on me. So I would have loved to, to be coached by Belichick because I want to see what his meetings are like. I want to see what he said to the players. I want to see how he coached them because he's obviously one of the best of all time. Very fair answer. Now, is there one favorite football memory that you have? Oh, that, that one's a tough one because um, I, I could go in a couple directions, but I think I'm going to go with probably the first touchdown. My first touchdown took place in Seattle, the Seattle Superdome, uh, Kingdom, uh, October 9, 2009, or 1990, 1990. And the reason why is because, as you already mentioned, this long road to get to the NFL, I got activated by the Chiefs. But here's why that's a memory, because my uncle, when I was a junior in high school, told me I was going to play in the NFL. Mr. Uncle Sonny, he told me I'd play in the NFL, and I said, you're crazy. No, you're going to play in the NFL. No, I'm not, uncle. I believe in you so much. Promise me your first NFL touchdown. So at the age of 16, I promised him my first NFL touchdown. Well, fast forward to that date, playing in Seattle, I scored my first touchdown, and you know who was there? And you know who was waiting for his ball afterwards? My uncle. But he taught me one point, and he said, I said, Uncle, how did you know I'd play in the NFL? He said, Nephew, I knew you'd play in the NFL someday. I, I knew you had the ability. He said, but I had the poor belief into you until you got your belief where it needed to be. And I never forgot that because he's right. I did not believe in myself, but when I got that belief, it took me all the way. And so it's a point I like to share with people that make sure you surround yourself with people who truly do believe in you. That's awesome. And that's a beautiful segue to the last question I had for you. And I think it's the most important, given everything that you've been able to accomplish, what is the last best piece of advice that you'd like to leave everyone with? Uh, you know what? The best piece of advice I would believe is tell everyone to stay positive. I'd say stay positive because there's so many things happening in the world today sometimes that can mentally take us out. But when you have a positive mindset, you know, you wake up with a positive attitude, you're ready to take on the day, you're able to deal with obstacles and challenges because you're always in the right frame of mind. And positive people see the bright side of everything. No matter what happens, they're always trying to find the bright side. And a positive mindset separates the best from the rest. Awesome. Great words to leave it on. And I mean, we, we only hit a fraction of, of your life. I, I mean, we didn't get into most of the entrepreneurial stuff, let alone the amazing stuff you've done with your family. But that's all the time we have. So we'll, we'll have to do it again some other time. And, and until then, for everyone, can't stress it enough, jjburden.com. You can find them on social media. Is there any place else that you'd like them to find you? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned jjburden.com, and I'm all over social media sharing content to help people achieve their goals. There you have it. Well, JJ, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you too, Stephen. Keep up the good work.